From Bumble Australia and Shameless Media, this is Love Etc. When my love takes me home It's one of five in a 30 mile zone Foot like lead, nerves like steel Wild ride when it's taking the How often do you hear honest stories about abortion in the mainstream media? How often do people talk openly about abortions that's had? Welcome to Love Etc, where your hosts Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, you're listening to Love Etc, a podcast by Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move. Today, we're talking about abortions. Terminating a pregnancy is still a lasting taboo. And yet, despite the hushed tones and whispers that we used to discuss it with, between one in three and one in four Australian women have aborted a pregnancy. In this episode, we speak to one such woman. Pip, who is sharing her story in the hopes that it makes you feel a little less alone. Then we hear from the experts at Mari Stopes Australia about why abortion access is crucial in helping people determine their own future. Just two things before we jump into this conversation with Pip. Firstly, a trigger warning. This episode does deal with a conversation around abortion and may be triggering for some listeners. Secondly, Pip does live a little bit remotely and this was recorded via video link in lockdown. So you may hear little sounds of birds and dogs in the background. So sit back, put your headphones in and just imagine that you're there with us. Okay, here's Pip. Pip, tell us about the moment you found out you were pregnant. Wow. So my partner and I at the time were living really remotely. So we used to wake up to go to work, you know, roughly around five o'clock in the morning. So, you know, he'd kind of said the day before, you know, maybe you should take a pregnancy test. And I asked one of my friends on the station who was actually pregnant, you know, do you have a spare pregnancy test? And so it was like 5.30 in the morning and I just like quickly, he was like, he had to go out away from where we live. It's called camping out. So he was like, quickly do it before I leave, you know, so I just know. And so I just like quickly weed on the stick and I was like, nah, there's no way I'm going to be pregnant. And then I just like put it down on the bedside table beside me because, you know, I've like weed on many a stick, you know, as everyone does. And then I just went to reach over and get my phone and I was like, oh my gosh. And it said pregnant. And I was just like, holy shit. Like I have no idea what to do. And yeah, he came back in and was like, oh, you know what, what did it say? And I was like, uh, it says I'm pregnant. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And it was just like, yeah, it was insane. I was just felt numb for the whole day really. And didn't really know what to do. And yeah, it was, mm. it was really bizarre. Mm. Tell us about your life at this stage in time. Like what was your relationship like? What was your working situation like? Did you feel in control of your life or were things a little bit messy? Yeah, so things are pretty messy. We had quit our job the week before we found out. So we were in a like a place that was really toxic and I just kind of decided that I'd had enough. So we'd quit our job the week before and we were just like filling out our, you know, two week, three week period that we have to before we can leave. And like my partner and I were in a really good place, but yeah, we were in the middle of moving and I was trying to pack and with him working away, I was trying to pack everything by myself. I also was studying university and it was around the start of the term. So I missed like the first four or five weeks of my semester. And yeah, it was just like, 
I just felt like it was just another thing like on top of everything else and I was like oh my gosh like how am I going to deal with this and because we were moving and everything I couldn't really make any solid plans you know like I'm going to go to the doctor here and I'm going we didn't really know what we were doing so we just kind of had to make the decision like well we're just going to have to go back to my mum's live with my mum for a bit until we sort everything out yeah so it was just really an intense time for like making decisions I just want to get a bit more clarity on the quitting the job part of this. So you both had quit your job because the job itself was quite toxic and you were just sort of in the process of finding something better, which meant that you had to move as well? Yeah. So the setup uh, where we used to live is that the house came with the, it was like a house and job package. So with living remotely, all of the accommodation is included, food, et cetera. So with us leaving, we then had to leave our house as well. So two things changed at the same time, which is which is pretty intense. So yeah, I just kind of said, well, we're just going to have to live with my mum for a bit. So that is covered. We don't have to worry about anything. And then we can just focus on everything else. In your email to us, you described how you felt an immediate sense of shame fall over you when you saw those two lines on the pregnancy test. Can you talk to us more about that immediate reaction, what you were feeling in the moments after seeing that test? I just, I felt that I'm going to cry too. I felt that I was so silly for not realising. Out there, I always had preached to all the other girls, you know, you have to be really in tune with your body and if something doesn't feel right, we have to be aware of that so we can get help. And I just felt silly that this had been happening in my own body and I just hadn't been aware enough to pick up on it. And, you know, even the fact that, Where I was at my age, you know, I had been drinking a lot. The culture up in those places is, you know, every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, we drink a lot. And I had been drinking so much recently. And I just thought, how could I have this going on in my body and not even be aware enough to realize that I shouldn't be drinking alcohol? Yeah. And I just felt, then I felt bad. I've been doing like the one thing that you shouldn't do when you're pregnant, which is drink alcohol. (laughs) And then, yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh, what is everyone going to think? And yeah, it was just, I was so numb for the entire day. And then I like rang my best friend and I was just like crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I do? And I just felt so stupid, really. How could this be happening? And I don't even realize. Talk to us about the conversations that you had when you started telling people. So you had that initial conversation with your partner, you called your best friend. What were those conversations like? Were you talking about the options that you had? Were all of your minds quite set? The first person I rang was my oldest friend. Like we'd been through primary school, boarding school together outside of school. I rang her and she was just like, oh my gosh, are you actually pregnant? Because all of my friends were aware of all the struggles that I've had with my periods and, you know, the fact that the gynecologist told me I wouldn't get pregnant and all these sorts of things. So they were all kind of shocked like me, like, are you actually are you sure it's really happening? And yeah, they were all on the same wavelength, just do whatever you want to do. You know, we've got options these days, which is great, you know, and if you're not ready, you're not ready. Everyone has those sorts of conversations when in school and, you know, when everyone starts learning about like you can get pregnant and sex and all those sorts of things. If you get pregnant and you don't watch a baby, what is it that you want to do? Yes, it was just so nice to see that that was reflected back in our conversations that we had. So yeah, they were exactly what I needed and everything that I thought that would be too. And 
During this time, it really makes you so thankful for the people that you have in your life because they so could have turned around and been like, well, I don't agree with that or whatever, but they were all just like, you need to do what's best for you and whatever that decision is, we support 150%. So, yeah, it makes me really thankful to have them. And, you know, one of my best friends, she lived in Sydney at the time and she was like, I will fly up. Like, if you want me to come up, I'll fly up with you so you're not alone. And, you know, in coronavirus, I was just like, you know, that's such a nice thing for her to want to put herself through quarantine and all those sorts of things just so she could be with me maybe for like, you know, a 15-minute appointment, whatever. But it's not really 15 minutes. It takes hours. But, yeah. The sisterhood, right? It must have been a really nice feeling. What about your partner? Was he as supportive as what your friends were? My partner, he is five years older than me. So my first initial reaction was like, well, he might want to keep the baby. So, and he just kind of said, I realize that you're younger and that you don't want to have the baby. But he's like, if you do, I would like to have the baby. But if you don't, I will support your decision, whatever. So he was really supportive, which was good because I felt that he was probably, you know, he's 26, you know, he was probably ready to have kids and settle down. But I just, well, I'm not at that stage yet. So he was just, yeah, really supportive and was like, whatever you choose is the best option for us and for you. And even now we aren't together anymore, but a couple of weeks ago, like I asked him, did it have anything to do with the abortion? And he was like, no, like he's like, it's definitely the best decision that we made for the time. Yeah. He was so supportive and I'm really thankful for him too. You live in a pretty rural part of Australia and I remember when we first spoke a couple of weeks ago, you were explaining to me how hard it was for you to access services that would assist termination. Can you explain to people what it's like who may not live in a big metro city what access to abortion and termination actually looks like? Yeah, so where I lived initially I was 200 kilometres from my closest emergency hospital. So we were serviced by the Royal Flying Doctors. So they would have, you know, a local, uh, like a local clinic every week. All of my appointments were via telehealth, you know, via FaceTime computer. We had a local clinic close to us, you know, to service one of the rural communities. So we used to go there if we were ever injured and the RFDS would get us from there. And even moving back to a rural area that I classified growing up as, you know, it was a pretty big regional centre, I was still 300 k's from the closest abortion services. So Mari Stopes is really the only service out there for rural and regional Australia. And yeah, you just kind of call them and they have all these processes in place and, you know, you have to go and get an ultrasound And, you know, if I was living where I initially was, that would have been a 400k round trip just to get my ultrasound. But yeah, the distance is just something that I don't think a lot of people comprehend. But to us, it's so normal. That's, you know, I was just like, yep, I just have to drive there. And that's just what I have to do. And talking to a lot of people afterwards, they're like, that's such a long way. But I suppose where I was living, it really wasn't that far. It was just kind of one of those things that we just have to get over and move on from. I imagine you had that first appointment where you probably told a doctor, I think I want to get an abortion. How did you actually arrive at that decision though? We understand that you didn't just go and get the abortion a couple of days later. You actually put two weeks in place. Was that right? To be able to really think about what you wanted to do. What were you tossing up over those two weeks? What did those two weeks look like? Those two weeks looked like 
I suppose I'm a very type A personality. Like I love to plan everything and I like to write everything down in lists. So I really just kind of had to be like, if I have this baby, how will my university look? Where will we be living? What will my job be? You know, I know a lot of jobs in Australia, you can't get maternity leave without being working there for 12 months. So I was like, realistically, I'm probably not going to get paid maternity leave. Where will our income come from? You know, how much does everything cost? Like living rurally, I used to work with kids rurally. So a lot of the mothers would say, you need a four wheel pram, don't get a three wheel, like it won't travel across the rocks or anything. And, you know, so then the cheapest four wheel pram I could find was like $700 and all these sorts of things. I was just like planning and like writing lists. And what if I couldn't breastfeed? How would that look getting powdered milk? All those sorts of things was just like going through my head. But yeah, I always just kind of came back to the decision that I wasn't really ready to be responsible for another human's emotions without having all of my shit sorted first because you know, I hadn't finished uni. I didn't really want to, like, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I haven't really traveled or done those sorts of things. And they're the sort of things that I want to do before having a family. And I've always said that. So yeah. And I think working to working with kids, I realized how much effort actually goes in behind the scenes you know like everyone looks and like oh she's a bad mom or she's a great mom but it's like there's so much more behind what you see at the park or the car that they drop them off to school and I think being aware of that I was like there's so much emotional support that you have to give them and I was just like how am I supposed to emotionally support someone when I can't do that for myself so I was like I just can't I'm not ready to possibly affect someone's life because I don't have my own shit sorted out. Tell us about the day of your abortion. What are the standout memories? The standout memories were I got up and went for a walk. So throughout my pregnancy, I was so sick. Three times a day, I'd get like, I called it all day sickness, but morning sickness. And yeah, on that day, I wasn't sick at all, which was kind of bizarre. So I went up and went for a walk and then The clinic was actually really hard to find. There wasn't much signage or anything. It was just kind of like this little hole in the wall type thing. All the windows were all covered and I had to press a buzzer on the outside for them to let me in. And yeah, I was in total in the clinic. My appointment was for nine o'clock, but I didn't get anything done until like 4.15 in the afternoon. So I was in there all day. And I I think the most overwhelming thing for me was just how many women were there, like how much it is so needed out in these rural communities and it is so hard for people to access. We had to travel there the day before. We had to book accommodation for the night before and the night after because you're not allowed to travel and do those sorts of things. So that in itself is $350 plus the termination cost, I think, $850, $847 or something like that. You know, so just that one day cost upwards of $1,000. So you have your abortion in the late afternoon. I'm imagining that day and that night would have been incredibly difficult, but over the next two weeks, it sounds like you went through a grieving process. What was that two-week period like after the abortion? Yeah, so when when you have the abortion, you actually take like tablets in the morning to start miscarrying. So while you're sitting there waiting to go into surgery, you're miscarrying. So you're in a bit of pain, you know, you might start to bleed, And then you're just kind of sitting in a chair waiting for them to, you know, take you in. That night, I actually woke up after surgery crying, which I was kind of like, I didn't really expect that. 
And I was fine after that. Like once I woke up, I was kind of just in a daze and I was crying a bit. And then I went back to the my apartment and just pretty much slept till the next day. And then we drove to where we were holidaying. And it kind of didn't really hit me until like I saw kids again. And I was like, oh, you know, I had a baby and sorry. And, you know, that could have been my baby if I didn't do that. But, you know, that was the decision I made and it was the best one. But, yeah, just seeing kids really triggered me for like a long time. So, yeah, it's just like I think that a lot of women think that, oh, people that have abortions just have them and they don't give a shit about kids and they're cold-hearted and you must not care. But that's like so the opposite of the thought that everyone goes through. Like it's like can I provide enough for my children? You know, I was very privileged growing up. You know, I got everything that I always wanted. You know, I was a dancer. You know, my parents paid a lot of money to dance. And I just thought like right now I would not be able to give my kids any of that, you know, like any 21-year-old, you don't have savings. Your job is like barely exists. You know, you're just really living week to week. And even just going from being pregnant to not pregnant, within like a week, I'd lost kind of all like my baby weight as such. I just like dropped two sizes in clothing straight away. Like I was so puffy. Like I didn't even realize how puffy I was. And, you know, even just coming down from the pregnancy hormones, I think that's kind of what affected me so much. Like my boobs were so big, like I went almost up two cup sizes. So then, you know, my boobs were going back to normal and it was just kind of like an everyday reminder that things were changing and going back to normal. And especially too, I bled for like almost a week and a half after my abortion. So like, you know, you were changing pads all the time. Like you couldn't wear tampons and like pads are just, I don't really enjoy wearing pads. And so it was just like, how am I going to put my clothes on so you can't see my pad? It wasn't just a normal pad. It was like those like huge maternity pads that you were wearing. So yeah, it was just kind of like this constant every day. I'm bleeding. I've got this huge pad on. Like it's because I've had an abortion. Once the bleeding stopped, like it was so much better. Like I was just like, yes, I can wear my normal clothes. I can do things again. Like I don't have to worry about anyone kind of being like, oh, do you have this huge pad on? Because that's how I felt. Not that anyone looks at that at all. But yeah, that's just how I felt. I was like, someone's going to notice that I'm wearing a huge maternity pad. (laughs) What I found so interesting is in your email to us initially, you wrote about how you feel alone, empty and terribly sad in the weeks after, but at the same time completely at peace with the decision you made knowing it was the right one. I think you're completely right when you said before, the stories we hear about abortion don't really have layers or aren't really complex and don't really reflect how hard it is for a lot of women to make the decision, even though it's absolutely the right one. Talk about that to us, about how you don't really have any regrets at all, despite all of the negative stuff that you did go through. Yeah, I I definitely think it was the best thing for me. There's no way I could imagine, you know, being pregnant and expecting a baby, you know, in March. It's just insane to think that I would have still been pregnant. It's just something that I definitely don't want at this stage, you know. And now my partner and I aren't together anymore. Like that makes it even more cemented that like I would have been, you know, so many months pregnant by myself as well. It was definitely the right decision and even just planning into the future and all those sorts of things, I just, yeah, could never imagine 
having a baby right now. It definitely was the best decision and I'm so not ready to have a baby at all. And I think if anything, it made me realize just how much more I want out of life and how much more I want to do just before, you know, settling down and having kids, which is something I want to do as well. I've always wanted to be a mom. You know, I love kids. I work with kids all the time, but I know that just right now it's not the right time for me. And one of my friends who she had a termination earlier in the year, she just said to me, we want to provide them with the best and we want them to have the life that we had as kids. And right now we can't give that to them. And she said, that's a much harder decision to make than just keeping the baby and trying Mm. to sort everything out. And yeah, you know, that helped me a lot because I was like, that's so true. I could just keep the baby and sort everything out. But she's like, you'd be stressed and you'd be worried and you'd feel guilty all the time because we couldn't give them exactly what we want to give them. So, you know, even now when I do want to be pregnant again and have babies, you know, I know it'll be the time that I can give them everything that I want to give them. Do you ever think about what your life would look like now if abortion wasn't legal? We know that there are a very vocal minority who campaign for abortion to be criminalized again what would your life look like if you weren't able to get that abortion it would be very very different I I don't think I would have a job my university degree probably would have stopped like I wouldn't be able to go on my placement that I'm due to go in in you know a month or so and I think that I just I just would not be coping emotionally at all having something that I I don't want to have and that I'm not ready for. I think it's a decision for women and for people to want to take that away is so bizarre for me because we do so much to prevent it. We're, we take the pill, we go to gynecologists, they are so expensive to go to to try and sort out all the shit that happens in our body. Then these people turn around and be like, well, you know, you weren't careful enough. And it's like, oh my gosh, this could happen to anyone. And I just think that that's so cruel to want people to do something that they're not ready for. And I also think too, in the end, it hurts the kids because there's these parents who aren't ready to have children and then they have this child and then they can't emotionally support it and they want to go off and live their life. And then, you know, their kids are left with babysitters or nannies and you know, always wanting their mum or always wanting their dad and they can't provide that for them because they were never ready to have a baby. So it would be so, so different. And I, yeah, would hate to think how I was mentally at this stage if I was still pregnant because, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be coping. What would you say to a woman who's in the waiting room waiting for her procedure to be done? What would you want her to know? I would want her to know that... You've made the right decision for you and whatever decision you've made is the best decision for you. And I would want her to know that things do get better and they return back to normal and everyone out there will support her. And if they don't, you know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, I talk openly about it. One of the girls the other day that I work with said something and I'm like, yeah, I had a termination in August. And she was just like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, in August. And she was just so shocked. She's like, oh, you're okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine now. But I was just like, it's not a conversation that anyone has. So I'm more than happy to sit here and talk about it. And even if one person is like, oh, yes, like that's what I needed to hear. That is immense for me because going through the whole process, there was like nothing out there. I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts like every day. And I typed into my podcast app, abortion, termination, pregnancy, and nothing really came up at all. Nothing with substance and 
it was all just like, you can get an abortion if you want to. And it's like, yeah, well, we all know that. Of course we can get an abortion. And all the articles online, it was like, I bled for a little bit. And I was just like, there's no way you can just sugarcoat it. Like, I don't understand why it's just not out there. This is what happens. I think we really need to recognize that sometimes you're not fine and you won't be fine for a little bit, but eventually you will be. And that's just all part of the process. Abortion was the best thing that I could have done for me at that time and for my life going forward and even for the life of my baby at that time too. Like there's no way that my baby would have benefited from a life with me now. So I'm forever thankful that there are services out there for us women who make that decision. Pip, you are incredible. Thank you so much for telling your story. It takes bravery and it takes courage. And I think it's an incredibly, incredibly generous thing to do. So thank you on behalf of all the women who will probably listen to this and will relate to what you have gone through or prepare to go through it themselves. Zara on Bumble, women are empowered to make the first move in their relationships. Now those first moves can give power to all women all around the world. That's right, Mish, and it's why we love Bumble's Moves Making Impact initiative where you can choose the social justice cause you want to support on Bumble, human rights, ending hunger or equal pay. Every time you make the first move by sending a message to a new match, Bumble will make a donation to a woman doing corresponding work in her community. Bumble has paired up with Vital Voices, an international non-profit organisation that identifies, partners and empowers creative, fearless women leaders changing the world. Like Leah Lizarondo, a social entrepreneur from 412 Food Rescue who's committed to engaging everyday citizens in the fight to end hunger and reduce the environmental damage caused by food waste. One of my favourite quotes of Leah's is, it can take just one idea to be turned into action to have impact. So get swiping, messaging and dating on Bumble and do your bit to make the world a better place. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission. Guys, before we finish up today's episode, we wanted to call in the experts at Mari Stopes Australia. Mari Stopes Australia is the only national family planning organisation giving Australians full control over their reproductive health. I spoke to their head of policy, Bonnie Corbin, and counsellor, Sophie Karamidopoulos, about access to abortion in Australia and why taboo still seems to envelop such a common procedure. The first question felt like an obvious but important one. Why is safe access to abortion so important? This is what Sophie said. I think it's really important to have control of their fertility and their life. So, you know, family planning and abortion services are very important to have a choice in whether you're continuing with the pregnancy or having a termination and allows for a decision to be made based on personal circumstances, values, beliefs. And by making a decision that's best for yourself, it can help to cope with or work through any challenges that come up from the decision. So every woman's going to have different needs based on their personal situation and there's no one-size-fits-all to contraceptive needs, to abortion needs, to pregnancy needs, and it's important to have access to a suite of services that allow women to tailor their situation to meet those needs. Bonnie made another really good point about how important abortion is to achieving equity for people across the country. In Australia, we have a gender pay gap of 14%. Women are more likely to lack employment security, to work casual jobs and to work in more than one job. At a bare minimum, contraception and abortion access can enable us the choice to prevent or to delay pregnancy 
In order to achieve gender equity, all people need autonomy over their own reproductive systems, their own bodies and their own lives. There seems to be a bit of a trope out there that the stereotypical woman or person getting an abortion is a teenager who wasn't using protection. But that's not really the reality. Both Sophie and Bonnie agree that the type of people getting an abortion really can't be categorised in any clear way. In terms of abortion access, we often hear those myths and misconceptions that can stereotype women as being young, as not having children or being reckless. The reality is that no contraceptive method is 100% effective and in Australia between one in three and one in four women have had an abortion. People who have abortions are more likely to be in their late 20s or 30s to already have children and to have had a contraceptive failure or an experience of sexual coercion or abuse. Some people who have abortions may also be trans, non-binary or intersex. So it's a myth to think there's any stereotype of a woman generally and there's any stereotype of a person accessing abortion and it's up to all of us to smash those stereotypes. Also, Sophie says, abortions give people control of their lives. So for some women, having an unplanned pregnancy can lead to a feeling of not being in control of their lives and having an access to an abortion service and knowing what their options are can give that control back. For someone who's had a planned pregnancy and there's a change in life situation, it might be a relationship breakdown, a job loss or an anomaly in the pregnancy, having access to an abortion, whether they choose it or not, allows them for a say in what direction their life's going to take. And it means that they're not continuing the pregnancy that they might not be able to cope with or they might not feel is best for them. I've spoken to women about where they felt that having an abortion has reduced their anxiety or knowing that they're going to have one reduces the anxiety that they felt when they first found out that they were pregnant and that they don't then have to re-change their lives. They can continue on with the plans that they had. And then there's other times where it means that they get to look at all their options. So abortion might just be a a portion of that, that option that they're looking at. And some will choose to either continue with the pregnancy or that they'll choose to go ahead with and take the path of adoption care, parenting care or kinship care. And abortion plays a role where it allows them to have a view of what they might want and then choose the best for themselves. Even though we're here today talking about why it's so important for people to be talking about the abortions they're having, there's still much more that needs to be done, according to both Bonnie and Sophie, to ensure abortions are something that can be accessed by people across the country. So some of the barriers are more practical. So it might be needing to travel to access a service and might be arranging childcare, having either a physical or emotional support for the day or following up or even in the decision-making, or it might be more financial, just trying to work out how they're going to pay for the procedure. It might be more of an emotional barrier, and that might be how they're going to feel on the day of the appointment or how they felt making the decision. Or it could be an external factor like a safe access zone. So, for example, in in WA, safe access zones aren't in place. I've worked in a clinic while they weren't in Victoria, and walking into the clinic, people would pass by People who had signs and visuals designed to create an emotional response. And the impact was that the the clients would feel judged, they'd feel anxious and distressed in a situation that they'd already found challenging. So there's a lot of different barriers that can be faced and some will face two or three or a lot or one. So to have that extra part of having someone else tell them about what their decision is and putting their judgment on it can make a really emotional day even harder and it can mean it amplifies the emotion they're feeling or the impact on their health. 
You've been listening to Love Etc, a production from Shameless Media. To support the show, please click subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. Sign up to Bumble Australia, the social networking app where women make the first move towards friendship, professional and romantic relationships. We'll be back in your ears for the last episode of this season next Friday.